0: Good morning. I'm Pastor Gibb. I have the opportunity to bring the message today. It's great to see you. It's a little foggy up here. (laughs) Sort of that haze that's, you know, uh, late summer. Uh, But it kind of reminds me of something. Uh, It was the first day of training camp. 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team arrived to start a brand new season. Uh, They had blown the national uh, football League championship game uh, after being ahead to the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. It was a new season, and players showed up. They were excited. They were thinking about new plays, new people, and they were ready to go. Their coach had a different idea. He was going to take nothing for granted he began a tradition of starting from scratch, assuming that the players were a blank slate walking in with no knowledge from the year before. And I'm sure that most of you know, or many of you know what I'm gonna say, because he started with this, men, this is a football. We laugh, we think it's funny. It is funny. But sometimes we need a reminder of life, of what's important. What are we going to work on? What are we going to do? And I'll do my best to avoid as many football and fall comments as possible. But today we're going to look at a fundamental passage of scripture, review and possibly see the basics of a Christian life and community for the first time. We're going to be looking at Acts 2, 42 through 47, with a focus on verse 42. These are four basics the early church practiced. They had just received the Holy Spirit. They had just heard Peter give this first sermon, and people were coming to Christ. There was no church organization. There was no nothing, you know, plan. What did they do led by the Holy Spirit? Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what are the basics for the church? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread into prayer. This is not going to be a great uh, illuminating sermon. This is an encouraging time. Come, come, come. What were they devoted to? I ask the question, what am I devoted to? What do I get enthusiastic about? What am I dedicated to? Maybe zealous or fanatical. You talk about football season, it brings up that in a lot of people. But for me, someone that's devoted, I think of a person that's devoted to a person or maybe a small group of people, Mother Teresa, a husband devoted to his dying wife, a young mom taking care of a preschooler who will not cognitively remember Anything before the age of four, yet 80% of their personality is formed. Jesus used devotion in many of his parables and examples. The widow giving that might. The shepherd leaving the 99 in search of the one. The person plowing the field Not looking back, but sticking with what they're doing. What are these believers who had seen Jesus, heard him, touched him both before death and after death? What are they doing? They're gathering. They're being led by the Holy Spirit. And they're doing these four things. And they're devoted to them. They're important. It's something they pursue. The apostles' teaching, basic one. They listened and interacted with the apostles, the 12 who had been with Jesus. They had watched, listened, and been taught by Jesus. Sent out, brought back. They reviewed what they talked about. They were sent out again. They came back. They were viewed. A.B. Bruce does a great job in the training of the 12, breaking down how Jesus trained the disciples. He did a great job. When he was gone, they knew what to do. The audience, in turn, heard them and shared what they were hearing. And that's going to be a repeating theme here. Okay. How does this apply to us here at Midland Free? We are a teaching church. We focus on scripture. We think scripture is important. We want to teach scripture. We can always improve that, but we want to teach scripture. And what do we teach? Jesus. Jesus, Lord and Savior, our God our Savior. We believe in Him. We want to know Him. We want to follow Him. He is our greatest love. He's who we're devoted to. Midland Free teaches kids. We teach youth. We teach adults in age-appropriate ways, challenging each to grow. How Do we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? We receive teaching here in a worship service, in small churches, in life groups, in Bible study fellowship, community Bible studies. There's lots of other opportunities. I was talking to Chris Shirk uh, a few minutes ago. They're going to do their thing on Wednesday night again for new believers or people that just want to learn more about the Bible. There's all sorts of opportunities, but receiving the word is not a dead end where we gather and we gather and we gather and do nothing with it. It's supposed to change our lives. We need to be in a place where we are teaching and sharing what we learn with other people. And we need to take that opportunity to do that. One of the descriptions in scripture of an elder is that they're able to teach. That may not be their primary spiritual gift, but they teach. They're able to teach. They're able to communicate scripture, scriptural truth, the apostles' teaching. And when I look around the room and I can see almost every one of you, you are more than competent. To share the apostles' teaching, what we do here at church, either in a group, individually, with family, friends, whatever. So there's a warning. You know the warning pop up here? Do not sit, soak, and sour. Do something, share God's word. It's true, it's active. It's alive. It's meant to be shared. It brings life. It brings growth. We need to share. We need to get off the bench, get off the seat, get out from behind the TV, the computer, whatever, and share with other people. You maybe have a group on TV if you're Zooming a group, but, oh, sorry, on the computer. But no matter what, you're sharing what you're learning. And folks, the apostles teaching is only one fourth or 25% of these basics. We are taught so that we can share and teach what we've learned so that they can share and teach what they've learned so that they can share and teach what they've learned. How long has it been since Jesus was here? it's 2000 years okay we have carried this from generation to generation from person to person and we're taught we are deeply affected by what we read by what we're taught by what we learn what do we devote ourselves to because it affects our worldview how we think And our personal relationships all of life. Including our relationships with others. And that's the bridge over to fellowship, the next basic. Fellowship expresses the idea of a mutual commitment to the good of someone else. Fellowship actually grounds us. People who are around us enough to know us and can speak the truth to us. A couple of months ago, Caroline, who's my wife, and I were sponsoring a wedding at our home during COVID. It was outside, and we wanted things to be perfect. Any of you guys struggle with OCD and perfectionism and stuff like that? Okay. All right. So here we are, and we had a punch list, and if we had stayed up for 72 hours straight, we might have gotten done. You guys guys can relate to this. We were in a life group a couple days before it, and one of the members wisely looked at us because we were asking for prayer about this. And she said, Your house is gorgeous. You have offered this as a gift to this young couple. You don't need to do anything else, the wedding's about them. Not the house. Let it go. These words were like a proverbial breath of fresh air. We could feel the burden. Excuse me. We could feel the burden lifting off our shoulders. Lovingly blunt? Yes. Spoken with love? and care towards us? Yes. That's a product of fellowship. And with other people, and you can speak into their lives. For Christians, we have Jesus in common. In this passage, it's obvious that the Holy Spirit is leading and directing the group. Have you ever met someone or or known them? You know, you'll meet somebody and you go... I bet they're a Christian. And later you find out they are. How'd you know? Because the Holy Spirit in you communes with the Holy Spirit in them and you connect. That happens in groups, it happens in settings, it happens when we run into each other out here in the hallway. Fellowship goes both ways. And the Holy Spirit is the one that ministers to us as we meet, as we talk, as we share. And we desperately need each other to do that. A believer talks to a believer, and the Holy Spirit ministers. I actually believe that that's true with non believers, too. If you're speaking to a non believer and you're praying for them, Trust that God's at work. He's doing something. You may not see it, but trust that he's working. In Genesis onward, it's not good for a man to be alone, separated from others. We desperately need others to grow in our relationship with God. But here's a warning. We will not grow as believers without fellowship. We need people around us that are teaching, sharing, encouraging, praying. Here's another way of looking at this. Um, I grew up in Texas, and independence is really important. Okay? And for most of us sitting in this room, independence is very important. And so is self-reliance. I knew a guy that would not borrow a tool. He goes, "If I need a tool, I have to go buy it," because you can't borrow a tool. That's not self-reliant. The problem is, is that this runs conflict with fellowship and working together, individualism and selfishness, contrasting to gathering the ecclesia that nurtures us in agreement in accord with each other through the Holy Spirit and encourages obedience and submission to the Lord. We can't be both totally independent and submitted and obedient to the Lord. We need each other to encourage us to submit, to obey, to follow. And one other thing about fellowship, sometimes fellowship, being around other people is hard because we've been hurt. Somebody's hurt us, we've gotten hurt and it's hard to trust people. I would encourage you to get into a medium sized group, like a small church or a larger life group, and watch for people that you can trust. You watch them interact. You watch them live their life. You're living your life. And you get to a point where you go, I can trust them with sharing things. It's important. And as we move closer to somebody else and say, hey, I, I want to fellowship with you, they need that too. In a life group, in a small church, in another group, in a class, we're able to watch each other, interact with them, be blessed by them, pray for them, and we get to break bread with them. Breaking bread is the third basic fundamental here of the early church, the scripture we see in Corinthians, the church gathers, Paul's explaining the problems with the Lord's Supper. And the church is gathered for meals, they call them fellowship meals. And the Lord's Supper is part of this fellowship meal. The encouragement here is to meet with other believers over a meal. Later on, one of the verses that gives us a color commentary on this. They're in each other's houses, sharing the joy of the Lord, but over a meal. Okay? It doesn't have to be a meal. Maybe it's coffee. Maybe it's taking a walk. But you're doing something where you're with other people. And I don't know about y'all, but I have to eat sometime. And it's great to do it with other people. And one of the small churches is going to the mall today for lunch. They do it once a month. Okay? Find ways to fellowship together and commit to that. In 2001, after Caroline and I and our family moved here, John Morton had met me. And he asked me to go to lunch with him. And he said, hey, let's meet every week. I wasn't in great shape. So it was a great thing to do. It was very encouraging. And John and Peggy went to Malaysia. So John was worried about me. So he found somebody else, Dave Cheek, who could meet with me every week. And we met every week together until uh, Dave died in March, almost 20 years. Dave's passing has been hard on both John and I. We love Dave. We enjoyed Dave. We fellowship together. It was a time of food, scripture, questions, fellowship, prayer. Where are you doing? You just live life together and you talk. And that included Dave's death. Caroline and I uh, are in another life group together that meets almost every Wednesday. We meet in different homes. We share the sermon, what other things God is doing in our lives. And we pray for one another. We broke the rules there were more than two households in a house. Okay? okay, we start early, we go late. A lot of times, people go. It's ten o'clock. Oh my gosh, we got to go home. Okay? But it's great. We have a great time together. It's good fellowship. Friday night, we were with another group of friends. They had sent out an agenda. You know, these organized people that when you get together, they send an agenda, and you kind of go, weird. But the agenda for Friday night was really short, okay? It said dinner about 6 and prayer. We quit at 10, okay? I'm not sharing these things because I'm wonderful. I'm not. I'm sharing them as examples of things that you could join in with or you may already be joining in with. Some of you are new, you're looking for fellowship. Some of you are old and you're looking for fellowship. But we need fellowship. We need to come together and have people to walk through life with. But here's a warning. A meal in and of itself cannot take the place of the apostles' teaching or fellowship. Just sitting there, sitting here on Sunday morning does not replace the need for fellowship or eating together. Make it a habit to meet with other believers for a meal and fellowship and sharing what you're learning, where you're at, and you get held up. Okay, so we've talked about apostles' teaching, fellowship, eating together. Now we end in prayer. But I'm not going to pray and close the service. I'm going to talk about prayer. Some of those of you that were in a hurry. Okay, okay. What is prayer? Prayer is talking to God about the things we see, sense, desire. We're reading back scripture to him. In the Lord's prayer, Yes, and I remember what Pastor Jeremy said. Jesus Jesus focuses first on God, then on our spiritual state. Why does Jesus mention forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer? It's core to the gospel. Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins. If we're forgiven, we ought to forgive others. So why do we pray about it? Because folks... Forgiving somebody is hard. And we need people around us to pray, to encourage us to forgive, to walk with the Lord and to follow him. Our prayers can focus on God and his desires for us. Think about Jesus's prayer in John 17. Starting verse 20. My prayer is, As we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Again, think about the context in Acts. Listening to the apostles teaching together, sharing it together, having fellowship together, eating meals together. They're praying too, together with each other and also at the temple. Could these things be done in private? Yes. But together with others, I think it brings a much greater, more bountiful harvest of spiritual growth and maturity. We're going to go through the rest of the passage just real quick, looking at that. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The ministry that Jesus was doing has continued with the apostles. And the believers and unbelievers see God moving and changing. 43 says everyone. 44 says all believers. What does that look like today, okay? You know, family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, people you're around, you look at them, you go, you okay, you have a need, how can I pray for you? Doesn't matter if they're a believer, unbeliever, offer, pull alongside. Have them see the glory of God. And what God can do. Here at the church, we practice James 5. That's going to pop up here in a second. And uh, there's a passage in James 5 that talks about uh, when we get sick, when we're ill. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I bring this up for two points. One, pray. Pray. And the other one is, if you're sick, appeal to the elders for us to pray for you, for them to anoint and pray for you. 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. A couple weeks ago, I was at Royal Family Kids Camp. We were together, very devoted on a very fixed purpose of giving these kids great moments. And because of that focus, we were very unified. And a lot of counselors go, why can't we take this back with us? It's great. It's Christian fellowship. It's Christian unity. Faith, hope, love, proximity. Look at what they did because they were together. Verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to one another who had need. They knew each other well enough to know what their needs were. And they met those needs. Am I close enough to someone to know what their needs are and help them? Now, this passage doesn't say everyone sold everything. Okay, because a couple of verses down it says they met together in their homes. But they met Needs that they could see. Folks, I know that there's people out there that I'm looking at who have been very, very giving and you have met needs just not in front of the church, not in front of anyone else, but because you knew that need was there. And that's wonderful. I want to encourage you to keep that up. Okay? Keep it up. Give. Be generous. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay? This is not inward. It's not totally outward. People come to Christ because they see what's going on in our lives and how we treat them and how we deal with them. Okay? It's not the Billy Grahams of the world or the Louis Palaus doing big uh, crusades. It's us talking to our neighbors, sharing with, with our neighbors and our friends and coworkers what God's doing. Share. Share what God's doing. Incorporate people into your life, into your groups. Okay, we're going to talk here for uh, a little bit about application. We've talked about what the basics are. In every church, basics look a little different. Okay? Starting September 12th, We're going to have a 9 a.m. teaching hour. And it's like teaching and fellowship. For those of you that grew up in a church, it might be like a Sunday school hour. And then at 1030, we're going to have one worship service. So on Sunday, we're asking you to come. Join a class. Be here for the worship service. If you don't want to be in a class, maybe consider serving in the children's ministry or possibly even in the youth ministry if Pastor Chuck needs somebody. At nine, there will be a place for you no matter where you are. They, they worded it nicely up on the slide. I had said cradle to grave. Okay. There's a well-staffed nursery. There's classes starting for preschoolers, elementary, middle school, senior high, and adults. There'll be at least six different small churches for adults. 9 a.m. will be the main teaching time. Now, you might want to go serve in the children's area. And let me give you some encouragement. There's, there's people sitting out here in the audience or they're watching at home. And they have small rugrats, okay? And it's really hard to come into a worship service with a small child, right? I've done it. I know what it's like. It's hard. If there's people back in the nursery, in the preschool area, and the elementary area, these young couples can get a break and go to a small church and fellowship. And learn and grow. At least have a little bit of a break, and that's one way our body has of serving. So, if you feel led, you pray. You want to do that? We'd love for you to do it. Talk to Kim back in Blast at ten thirty. There's going to be a worship service. Children under kindergarten will be in a class back in Blast. Elementary students will be in here with the parents. Okay, at least through the worship time through the singing time. During the week, we're going to be encouraging you to be in some kind of a group. Maybe it's a group of guys at work that meet, okay? Maybe it's a small group at home, in a home, a life group. But we want to encourage you somehow or another, find some way that you can connect with people and have fellowship, Did you guys know that the middle schoolers and high school kids have fellowship groups? They're called discipleship groups. And if you're a seventh grader, you can join that and you can be in that group until you're a senior in high school. They need adults to, to sponsor and mentor those. But if you're new, say you're here in your 11th grade, you just showed up and you're going, oh, wow, what do I do? Talk to Pastor Chuck. He'll tell you about the group, how to join. Okay? It's not like it's a locked group. Folks, we don't want our groups to be locked or closed. We need to have an open chair so that somebody new can show up and join in. You never know who's going to show up and be part and bring something new that we need. But we have to be open to that. If you'd like to start a life group, talk to Melanie or me. Melanie Draves is an adult ministries assistant. If life groups don't work for you, for whatever reason, your schedule, whatever, we encourage those community groups I mentioned earlier. Bible study fellowship, community Bible studies. You may even go to an AA meeting. If you need that fellowship and that encouragement, Go. I have a closing illustration. When's the last time you flew somewhere? Okay. Have you ever watched the pilot? You know, they have a little checklist. They actually walk out of the plane. They walk down the little staircase. They walk around the plane. They look. They don't really kick the tires, but they look at the tires. Okay. They walk around the plane. They walk back. Now, They go through weird things in this checklist that are kind of scary. Like, if the engines go off on takeoff, I will fly the plane and you try to restart the engines. Okay? That's not something you want to share with everybody on the back, but they go through it. They go through it. And why do they go through that checklist? Okay? Not to go through the checklist, but to make sure that the plane and they are prepared to take off and land because those pilots up front want to go home at the end of the day too. We're not talking about doing the apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of the bread to check off some list and going, I'm good with God. You know, I'm good with people. I'm good with that, okay? We're encouraging you to do this because we need it to grow. To grow closer to Christ, to know him better, and to use our gifts and talents amongst others. I'm excited to see how God's going to work this coming fall. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share with my friends, my brothers and sisters. Reveal to them, each one of them as they sit here, what they have, what they want, what they need what they can do to grow in their faith and love in you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.